Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldana. It's been a wild freedom grateful to be bringing you this story of a wise woman with quite the story to tell. Shanika is from Jamaica, currently living in Atlanta, Georgia, and both a free birther and a radical birthkeeper. She tells us of her first birth at 17 in the hospital, and then the tragic tale of her daughter's death three years later. And yet, in the loss of her daughter, Shanika had a true spiritual awakening and became the incredible woman that she is today. Shanika is a deep well of wisdom, and her story will surely inspire you to be your authentic self. I was born in Jamaica, and then I came to America when I was about six years old. So my parents, you know, had to make a a decision and a journey to come to somewhere totally new and try to make life. So not a lot of people know this about me if they don't really know me, but my father was like a drug dealer. Like his whole side of my father's family, like aunts, and he had about 12 brothers and sisters and maybe about two or three of them wasn't into that life, but the rest of them, that's what they did to survive. And uh, growing, going up in Philly, like that was, that was the culture of like being Jamaican and, you know, trying to find some autonomy and success monetarily. So that's what I grew up with. But then when I was about 10 years old, my father built a house in Jamaica. Uh, We went back for two years and I attended school there. And then my mom made the decision to come back to Philadelphia with my sister. And then my father went to England, you know, to live. So at that point, when I was 12, it was a very pivotal time for me because I lost one parent and my mom became a single mother, which really defined like the rest of my my life. So, so you went to Philly. Yeah, I grew up in Philadelphia. Okay. Yeah. So when I was um, sixteen, my mother was actually pregnant with my little brother. So this was the winter of two thousand three, December. You know, my mom's pregnant. I'm at the hospital with her. You know, December 13th, and she goes into labor, and I'm there witnessing my first childbirth, my little brother, and I was literally, like, the first person to hold him. Mm-hmm. And that, like, rocked my world. Like, he's, like, you know, he's, like, my son now, and, wow. and we're still brothers and sisters because I'm actually old enough to be his mother. 
But the, the nurse that was there made a joke. She was like, well, this is a great form of birth control. But what she didn't know is that about that time, I was already about one month pregnant. Like I just oh found God. out like I was pregnant and I was uh, witnessing this. Wait, did you know you were pregnant at the birth? At the birth, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And did your mother know? She didn't know. Okay. Yeah, so you did. and your mother were pregnant at the same time, barely, by like yeah. one cycle. Yeah. Wow. So, so you had just found out. Yeah. My brother was born December 2003. And then I had my daughter eight months later and I turned 17. She was born um, August the 4th, 2004. So that was like my whole introduction to birthing. You know, never really gave it much thought before that. But yeah, I had a hospital birth. You know, I was 17 years old and there wasn't like a lot of information or education about birth. You know, I'm still like in the last year of my high school year and, you know, just having fun. Mm-hmm. Happened to get pregnant and, um, you know, there wasn't like, oh, let me read a book or let me do this or that. I just kind of went with the process and like my aunt who lived in Florida supported me, you know, just talking to me and things like that. So it was actually like talking to her while I was like feeling labor and I was like, went to the bathroom and I wiped myself. And I was like, this is, this looks like mucus. She's like, oh yeah, you're getting close. You need to go to the hospital now. And with that knowledge, I went and like, I had my baby like instantly, like as soon as they brought me up to the hospital room, she came right out. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Man, birthing at 17. That's the, yeah. that's one of the most amazing benefits. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So you just had like a a couple hour labor. What was your experience like in the hospital? Um, well, for one, I was alone. Like the father wasn't there. Like a friend of mine picked me up and dropped me off. I think my mom might've been at work. So I was the only one there. Had the baby myself and, you know, different people coming in and out and things like that. Overall, I didn't have like a traumatic birth. But my daughter um, did um, have morconium, and she was, like, basically in the ICU for maybe about two weeks. Whoa. Yeah, because she ingested it, and they had to put on antibiotics and all that kind of stuff. <sighs> okay. Yeah. So besides that, there wasn't any trauma or anything. You know, I wasn't there long enough for anything to happen. So yeah, God, right. I thank God that she came right out. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you know, time went on. Fast forward three years later, this time, you know, I was working, had my own place, but I was a single mother because her father wasn't there. And he was a much older guy, but he wasn't there. And, um, you know, doing everything on my own and everything. And, you know, life tragedy struck. Uh, my daughter passed away. Mm-hmm. She was with my um, little sister and their friends. You know, they kind of like kids hanging out. But where I lived in Southwest Philly, there's a Schuylkill River. And there was this kind of like pier. It was like a flat pier. It didn't have any like railings or anything to stop you from basically jumping in the water. So what I was told was that my little brother and and my daughter, they were like, they had rocks and they were throwing rocks in the water. And it's kind of like she went forward with the momentum of throwing the rock and fell in. Oh, my God. Yeah. Into a river? 
Poor River, yeah. Yeah. And drowned. She drowned. Holy yeah. fuck. Yeah. Whoa. So that was um pretty like monumental period in my life. Oh you know, wow. You know, I was um I wanna say I was like twenty. Yeah, I was twenty when she passed away. You know, so I was still young and trying to find myself, but that experience really pushed me. I don't know if I call it like the dark night of the soul, but it really made me start questioning life and thinking on on such a more deeper level for like meaning and what reality is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so for yeah. the experience, you know, like I, I experienced so much growth. There was definitely grieving, but, you know, I always say that experience makes or breaks you. You know, you can become more pessimistic you can become depressed. You know, there's cycles and phases. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you don't stay in that energy of being stuck and depressed. But for me, it really made me like tune into spirit more and connect with like my higher self and who I am. Because, I mean, I remember the experience of like them taking her to the hospital and then, you know, they put, I don't know if they do this all the time, but they put her in a room and I had the opportunity to kind of like go in there and, you know, hold her. Mm. So when I went in there and like I was holding her and I just had a realization like whatever that animated her and gave her life wasn't there anymore. And it was like a wake up call like, wait, we're not this body. There was something more that created that spark and that energy. Mm-hmm. And then with that understanding, it was kind of like I woke up. Wow. I was able to like not necessarily like just be in grief. Yeah. I don't know. I've, that made me become spiritual. Yeah. No, I hear you. I think that that is a very shared experience, you know, to unite with death and know death and contend with death. And obviously we're in a culture that's walking around pretending like it doesn't exist. And then mm. when something so so completely unexpected just breaks open your world. Yeah, it's such an opportunity for that. Oh, I'm just, um, my daughter's almost three. I'm just imagining. Woo. Yeah. I hope I'd be able to handle it that, that gracefully. You know, our children come through us. Mm-hmm. You know, belong to us. And, you know, we can't control everything. We can't control when we die. You know, we can't even control birth. We try to prepare for it the best that we can, but you have to surrender at some point to the experience. So that's like a big takeaway for me in that experience. So when she passed away, it was um, October um, 2007. And around that time, I met... My my now oldest child, I met her father. And, um, you know, he was there for me, like, in a, the grieving process and, you know, just there as a support because he was, like, a person very active in the community and teaching and things like that. So I I met him and, like, things went really fast. So that was the October. In the December, me and him, like, were a couple and we moved in and, you know, my birthday was December 24th and he's buying me gifts and stuff. and then. I like got pregnant right away. Like at the end of January, I realized that I was pregnant. 
And interestingly enough, I knew the moment conception happened because I, I felt a spark in my pineal gland and there was this like electric impulse that went down to my womb and I was like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. Yeah, it's crazy. So I got pregnant with her right away. And then, you know, between that time frame, I like, you know, connected with my mom more and talked to her. And I really wanted to know about my own birth story. And, you know, I was born in Jamaica in a Jubilee Hospital. And back, you know, in the 80s, it, it wasn't great. You know, now it's still not great, but back then it was a lot worse. So I, she told me about like being alone being drugged and not fully remembering what happened and then waking up like hours later and I wasn't there and, you know, like just being separated from me through that process. So she really didn't fully remember my birth. You know, Mm -hmm. I was vaginal birth, but she couldn't tell me if they used forceps or what happened because they drugged her. Mm -hmm. So... You know, from that experience, I was just like, well, I want to create something different. Like, I didn't know, like, the concept of free birthing wasn't really a thing back then. And I've never really heard about it. But I knew that, like, you know, natural or home birth didn't exist. You know, this is something that very much outside of my lineage, like Mm -hmm. my my direct lineage, my mother, my grandmother, you know, they were hospital births. So there wasn't a direct connection to like, oh yeah, my, my aunt did this or someone did this. Let me do it. And I keep, I keep thinking that with your first daughter, you were also alone and then separated from her. Yeah. You weren't, you weren't yeah. drugged, thankfully. Mm-hmm. But that you saying you wanted to create something different is just so powerful because it's like, you know, that that you you kind of did repeat a similar birth story unconsciously, right? Like it's just what you do. And then in her death and in this new life, there's this whole shift of consciousness. Yeah, yeah. And it was like I was living you know, another chance. Mm-hmm. Because with her, I wasn't aware of anything. I didn't breastfeed. I didn't have anyone like, oh, you should do this or, you know, any support about anything. So, you know, my now oldest daughter, Arashana, it was just kind of like, you know, I don't want to say a way to do it right, but to do do something that maybe I didn't know that I wanted, but it was in me. It was right you know, for you. So, yeah. And yeah. it is biologically right. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know. So so quick question, did your mother breastfeed you? Do you know? She did a little bit. Okay. Because even back then it was like kind of like stigmatized there was some things about breastfeeding and relating to sex and the uh, culture in Jamaica. It was just kind of like Sometimes like a status thing, like if you can afford like formula and feed your baby, you know, it's a, it seems better. Oh, bonkers. And so what What was in terms of you not nursing? Well, your, I mean, your daughter was in the NICU for two weeks. Of course you didn't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you're going to create something different, but you've never really been shown these options. And so how does this idea of free birth present itself into your psyche? 
I want to say it was totally spiritual because like going through the death of my daughter, like I started to do a lot of like yoga, like literally like I went to yoga every day. I started doing Bikram yoga. So that was my therapy. And I started meditating and just reading books and really like connecting to my higher self more. And like these ideas just came to me like, oh, I can have a home birth. And then I, I like um, interviewed a midwife and I, sh- I just didn't vibe with her. And like spirit was just like, well, you can do it on your own. And I get, you know, presented the idea to their father. And he was like, yeah, you know, he was already like a revolutionary. Nice. <laughs> in the way that he thinks and lives. And he was like, oh yeah, let's do it. So once I had that support of, you know, the father, it made everything easier. Mm. And, you know, I did tell like my mother and she was like, freaking out and. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah. To the point where like I had her um, like at 5, 12 a.m. on a Saturday morning. And then a couple hours later, the ambulance showed up. Oh, shit. Yeah. Your mom called? My mom called. She was worried and yeah, ambulance showed up and, you know, the fa- he was like, the father was like, oh yeah, they're fine. And he bought the, um, like the per- the EMT to come and look at us. And he was like, yeah, they're fine. And they just left. They were like, yeah, okay, everything's good. fine. Yeah. I had a wild pregnancy. Um, I didn't go to any doctor's appointments. I actually went to one doctor appointment and that was more uh, logistically when I thought about like getting a birth certificate and having proof that I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I had that guidance to just go to one, you know, have that documented that I was pregnant and everything's okay. But other than that, I just, you know, winged it really. I ate healthy. I really walked a lot and exercise, you know, just walked. You know, I wasn't working and I had a lot of time. So that's what I did was walking. But everything went great. You know, like I, I didn't have a lot of knowledge about birth or anything, but I trusted the process. You know, I felt supported. Um, I knew that my body could do it. You know, I had one prior experience of having a baby and it went, it went great. So I was like, okay, why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, everything went, uh, it was a, an amazing birth. What do you remember of it? I remember, like, it was like Friday night and I started having contractions like around 11 PM. And I was like, Oh my God, (laughs) I think this is it. And I remember like, she was like, you know, overdue. (laughs) So my mom was already worried, but I was like, no, everything's fine. The baby will come and she's ready. But I I remember going into labor at around 12 o'clock, 12 PM. And you know, everything just unfolded beautifully. Like I had um, music on, created this ambiance, candles, and, you know, just kind of went with the process of what my body wanted. You know, I sat on the toilet and labored. And one thing I really loved was like getting in the shower and laboring with the water just flowing on me. And then, you know, a couple hours later, I'm on my hands and knees and that's how I birthed her. Hmm. And um, her father, you know, caught her and then, you know, slid her on, through my legs and I sat back with her. Hmm. Yeah. So it was a beautiful experience and really just made me like trust birth even more. Like this is how it's supposed to be. 
it can happen naturally without doctors, without intervention. And, you know, the, the same environment that created the baby, <laughs> birthed the baby. It was me and him. We were, it was dark. We were making love. It was that same ambiance that we gave birth into. Mm. Yeah, and I really, yeah, broke a cycle of having my baby, being fully present and conscious and having that bond, like, from the moment of birth. Oh, it's such a big deal. And then did you breastfeed this baby? Yeah, I breastfed. Yeah. You know, and I had to figure that out myself, like. Right. You know, cracked nipples, mastitis, oh, all of that. No. Like, even, like, wrenching pain. Oh. That was, like, the worst. But, you know, I figured it out. Mm-hmm. And after I had... Um, Arashana, I just made me more interested in birth and I found out like there's a thing called doulas and then I took a doula training and you know really just contemplated like well how can I do this how can I support women in birth so after I took that doula training I started to attend births okay and And so I wanted to become a midwife you knew that pretty early on yeah how many years apart are your two daughters? They are about two years apart. Okay. So in between those two, you take the doula training and you start going to birth. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're, you have a baby and then soon you're pregnant, but you're going to birth. Yeah. Whew. yeah. <laughs> That's intense. Well, I have my family, my mom around, my little oh, sister nice. around in Philadelphia. Okay. Oh, this was all in Philly. I keep forgetting that. Yeah. That you're newer to Georgia. Yeah. yeah. And actually where I lived, where I actually gave birth, I was, I grew up on that street for like a few years. So my mom was literally oh. like four miles down the street. Whoa. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So then, yeah, just take us into, into your next pregnancy. Well, yeah, Ray. Yeah. I got pregnant with her. Um, you know, I know I wanted the same thing. It was like obvious. Yeah. <laughs> so I pretty much wasn't much different. Like at that point, I actually was in Florida for quite a bit because I had family there. And when it came time, you know, close time to birth, I was like, okay, um, it's just me and my daughter here. I don't know who would support me in having a home birth, you know, so I made this the decision to go back to Philadelphia and birth her. And pretty similarly, like, I remember going into labor, you know, Actually, I had contractions with her like the night before and then they stopped. So I was like, okay, it's coming on. Then the next day I go into labor in the afternoon and, you know, still pretty active because I was like, I remember there's this health food store in Philadelphia called Essenes. So I was staying at my mom's in Southwest. So I went to South Philly, go to Essenes, get some food. I got some like raw juices and I'm in the uh, the store like this and rocking. And they're like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just in early labor. Cute. <laughs> yeah, so that was like really great. I got my juice and then I went to their dad's house. And at this point, you like... Still with the dad at this point? Kind of, sort of. Okay. Like when, when I met him, he was already with someone, but he was like Muslim and polyamorous. So, you know, she was there in the house you know, I knew that I had to birth, you know, I had to birth there. I didn't have anywhere else to birth. So um, I went upstairs with the dad and, you know, labored and 
you know, an hour later, she was born, same position, hands and knees, came right out. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm very blessed to, like, have, I don't want to say easy births, but <laughs> pretty good labors and mm-hmm. pretty good births. You know, I feel like a lot of that is because I trust the process. Oh, yeah. And I just surrender to it. Mm-hmm. Just get it yeah. done. <laughs> wow. Okay. So she comes out. You're in the father's home who's partnered and the woman is there. Yeah, That's a trip. There. But was and, she and, loving to you? I mean. No. Oh, she hated my Okay. <gasps> so actually me and her were pregnant at the same time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is so intense. We were pregnant at the same time, but she attempted to have a home birth, but it didn't work and she had to be untransferred. Oh. You know, so there was always this like kind of like competition that she mm-hmm. had with me. Like, you know, I, I, I have to do it like her or I need to have a home birth and all that. So it didn't, you know, happen for her and she ended up being transferred and I, I, you know, I, I would guess that it was probably, probably pretty like triggering to have me, the other woman upstairs. Oof. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I gave birth. Um, I stayed there overnight and then I went back to my mom's. Like, you know, we didn't officially break it off, but I just left to have distance from the situation and the other woman. Mm-hmm. And then when my daughter was about three months, I officially like broke it off with him and moved to my own place and did all of that. You know, but in that time frame, I was still attending births, not as much because I made the decision that I wanted to be fully present for them. So the good thing about that father, you know, he was very supportive where I didn't have to like worry about going back to work. Mm. I could just mother. So that's what I did and, you know, continued studying and, you know, going to births when I could. Mm-hmm. Then Ananda, I met Ananda's dad. Um, this was 2014. Yeah, wow, 2014. This is after after I had my second Yare, I actually moved away to New Mexico. And then after I came back to Philadelphia, I met Ananda's father. And um, with him for a little while. And um, yeah, after I got pregnant, the December, I remember having this dream I dreamed about Boulder, Colorado. I remember the dream, like I was in this luscious garden and I just remember the voice like, this is Boulder, Colorado. This is where it needs to be. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So I ended up moving to Boulder, Colorado, you know, like middle of my pregnancy, like, bye. I left him in Philadelphia and moved to Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, I had her there. And you br- did you bring your older girls? Yeah, it was just me and my older girl, my t- two other girls and me in Boulder, Colorado, in my big belly, you know, <laughs> didn't know anyone. I think I'm, I knew one person. I met this one guy um, at this yoga retreat, and he connected me with the woman that he was with, and that's where I initially stayed when I went there in uh, Denver, and then I ended up in Boulder. And then I found this midwife. You know, I knew I wanted to have a home birth again, unassisted. 
But as such, it was just me and my daughter. So I wanted to have another person there to support me. Of course, yeah. You know, so I found this midwife. Do you birth at the place that you got connected to through the one friend? No, actually, like, we were literally homeless because we were trying to find, like, housing in Boulder, which is, like, stupid expensive. Mm -hmm. Ended up in this kind of, like, temporary shelter and where you have, like, your own apartment and everything. And I had my baby there, which would, would have been, like, totally against any rules that they had. But, yeah, I literally, um, he brought me the birth pool, and we set it up and everything, had it ready. And I had her right there. And the people, they still don't know to this day. They probably <laughs> and then came back. Right, totally. <laughs> wow. Okay, so tell us about that birth. Well, that birth, oh, that, like, I started having contractions the night before, like, all night. It would just be very, like, sporadic and random. I'm sleeping, and then I'm like, I wake up like, oh, something's going on here. But all night, all night. And it was like my body was just gently doing the work and preparing me. And I love that because the next day, you know, things started to ramp up more. I took my girls to summer camp and then I picked them back up at about 3.30. This point, you know, I'm in pretty much like labor's going. So, you know, I'm, I still am able to drive, keep my shit together, drive, pick them up, go to the health food store again, like, <laughs> <laughs> and pick up a few things and then go back in the house. And um, midwife comes. She had like, um, her name was Amanda. She had like a doula, her support come with her. And yeah, then um, we set up the pool and it's just so beautiful because my two daughters were in the pool with me while I was laboring. Aww. And then right before I had her, they got out. But um, the, it was by far like my other births were easy, but this by far was the easiest, the easiest birth. Hmm. Like my body did all the work. And like when I was, you know, about to push, you know, she was like, you can basically like see see her head before I even pushed. Whoa. Yeah, like my body did all the work and brought her down. Like I probably pushed like two or three times. Then when she was born, they went outside. And I remember Amanda being like, there's like double rainbows outside. Yeah. And then my girl went outside and seen it like, <laughs> that was like her birthing. So did you ever feel... Yeah pain in that birth? No, I wouldn't even say pain. You know, like, you know, there's a ring of fire, yes. <laughs> but it wasn't painful, like how women might describe birth as being painful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And tell us more about what it felt like to have an authentic midwife hold space for you. And, you know, like we were talking about before we started recording that it's such a beautiful story that Mm -hmm. You had these two free births and you felt well supported by the father of, of these children. And then you find yourself in a new situation without that. And you were able to manifest an authentic midwife. And I love that I actually know her because I, I know who she is and how she midwives. And I, I really get what you mean now, you know, who, who intentionally chooses to not be licensed, you know, and, and restricted and who is just so devoted to, to serving, you know, 
And, and anyway, so yeah, that's, just tell me about that because it is a bit unique, right? That you have these two free births and then, and then choose a midwife. And I think this is such a good example of a story of like what we want to be possible for so many women, for all women, you know, who want it to be able to find a midwife who is loyal to the mother, you know, Mm -hmm. and and so, yeah, how, how was that after these two free births outside the system with a man and then had to have this woman come into your life and, and, and another, I guess sounds like a doula was there too. And how did that feel? I mean, it felt so divine, like to find her and for her to be everything that I wanted. Like I told her, like, you know, I don't want to say I'm a pro at this, but I'm a pro at this. <laughs> you know, I was like, I had two unassisted births already. You know, I've given birth three times. I'm pretty confident in the process. I don't want a lot of intervention. You know, I don't even want much prenatal care. And she was like, well, yeah, whatever you want, that's what you're going to get. And she like totally respected and honored like all of my wishes. Yeah. And was still there to like give me support in any way that I wanted. So to know that like midwives like that exists really inspires me because like that's how I want to be for women. Exactly. Like, I want to have like the knowledge and skill to support a woman if, you know, she wants that more hands-on support, but also to be able to just let go and women birth the way that they want to birth. Mm-hmm. It's so important. And yeah, we just need more midwives like that. Cause I know midwives that are like, Oh, unassisted births are dangerous. You know, don't, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Women, a lot of women choose that because they should feel like that's their only option. You know, if you're a black woman, the hospitals are very much biased and racist towards you. So a lot of women who are, you know, more radical in the way they live, they choose to birth outside of that system. And sometimes that looks like not having support, not having family because they're like, right. they're conditioned to say that you need to be in a hospital. This is a medical emergency. What if you die? You know, I, I, I'm, I, I so much believe in spirit and the spiritual world, the co-creating and helping you. And this is why it's important to like know what you want and be intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, and really, like, if this is what you want, say it and stick with it. Yeah. You know, don't compromise on what you believe, what you believe or what you want because someone's telling you that, oh, you can't have it or it can't be like that. That's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And be willing to have it, right? Like you you have such a willingness and a courage to lean into the mystery and to not know what it's going to look like, right? I mean, so now you and I become friends, so I'm familiar with, with you know, you at this stage of your life too, where you're still absolutely doing it in such a graceful, beautiful, exciting way. And you know, that you had a dream and you just were like, let's go, let's go feel it out because this is what I'm calling in. And this is what I'm open to having, which I think is a, there's a distinction to be made there because lots of people sit around talking about what they want, but I wouldn't say a lot of people are super willing to have it and to, to, to lean into the unknown or the mystery of how it's going to happen. Right. And so your willingness to, follow this dream and just open up to it allows for all of that flow and magic to come in instead of just sitting on your couch at home talking about it not doing anything to kind of open up that 
that mystery, right? Like the box, like Pandora's box or the magic that is for you and coming for you. Yeah. And that, that's a great point. And I do want to talk about that. Like, I feel like once you've shifted your consciousness into another reality that you're not just this body, you're not just this life, you know, why not live it to the fullest and not just sit in fear of what might happen and what might never happen, mm-hmm. you know, and this is how like I strive to live my life like authentically, like doing what brings me joy and not necessarily knowing what's going to come, but trusting. Mm-hmm. Like I've lived in many different states, like with my girls and it's just like trusting spirit, like, oh, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. And not necessarily thinking about the limitations or what could go wrong or what could happen, but setting the intention to, for one, like connecting with what brings you joy and pursuing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and it's like authentic birth and authentic living goes hand in hand. And I feel oh, like yeah. a lot of women might, you know, birth is that initiation to be your authentic self. A lot of women, you know, have a hospital birth and it's shitty. They're, they're traumatized, but it becomes a gateway and a window for healing and for them to tap into their power and to fully lean into it. Mm-hmm. It could become that. Yeah. 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 I mean, and yeah. that's true for all of life's experiences, right? I mean, the way yeah. you spoke about, you know, your, your first daughter passing and you could have easily taken on a life is horrible and against me and bad things happen to me and this is so personal and and you chose not to take that on you know it's 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 really powerful and that's not that's not the mainstream way of existing right in in today's culture yeah i appreciate you sharing all of that so so then what happens so then you you now have your your little baby in in boulder and and what happens next well, we're in Boulder for, um, we stayed there for a year, you know, ultimately we left because like it was very non-diverse in Boulder. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I grew up in a very like cultural rich area. I'm Jamaican and then I'm in Philadelphia, which is like a melting pot. Mm-hmm. So we end up going back to Philadelphia to my mother and my family to have that support and everything. Uh, and then, you know, coming back to Philadelphia, I'm on the road again. Since then, like, I've always known that I wanted to live in an eco-village and be a midwife. So I started researching and looking at different um, eco-villages around the United States. And I visited um, Ithaca Eco-Village, like, this summer before I actually moved. And um, it was lovely, but, you know, I was going to move there. But then thinking about, like, the cold-ass winters and all (laughs) of that, I was like, no. (laughs) I feel you. (laughs) Yeah. There's like so many amazing things happening in places with really cold winters. I'm like, I'll catch you on the summer. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But then, um, you know, I had researched a farm years prior when I was like looking into permaculture and looking at sustainability. And like, I was like, oh, the farm, that makes sense. So I started, you know, talking to them and emailing them like the December this is December 2018. Also yep. also not super known for its racial diversity. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> we there became the diversity. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was going to ask that. So you did go there and you lived there for how long? A year. A year? Yeah. And were you the only Black family there? Yeah, we were the wow. only Black family. Wow. 
Okay. So how was that experience? A uh, beautiful place. Like the land is amazing. Some great people, mm-hmm. you know, but still, you know, Narm is there, spiritual midwifery. <laughs> and Ina is not, not even there. It's not there. Yeah. So, so what was your role? What were you doing there exactly? I was just living there. I went there to okay. see if I can pursue midwifery and get training there. However, it didn't work out that way. Like a lot of the women, there were, I don't know if I want to say like a part of the patriarchy, but they were like a lot of the midwives that are there were from the 70s. They're from a totally different era. And, you know, they just have another way of thinking. And they're all medicalized. Yeah, they're all medicalized because they're like on NARM and all of those, you know, all those standards that they uphold. It's all medicalized. So that really didn't jive with me. And then, you know, I was told that they serve a lot of the Amish people and they don't like black people. So I wouldn't attend a lot of births. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm not staying here. And I and I decided to like leave like yeah like yeah. that. And I'm really glad I made that decision. So you did a year there but didn't really find the open door for birth apprenticeship or or whatever and they just openly told you like the the communities they serve are racist. Yeah. Wow. And then you know the, wow. the uh college of traditional midwifery is there. You know, I reached out to them because, you know, I'm a single mom. I'm there living, paying rent to live there. There's not a lot of work opportunities. So I'm like, you know, I, I came here to study midwifery, but I, I can't afford your school. Mm-hmm. Like, I see that the majority of the population that comes to your school are white women that are either they have family money, their family are funding their education, or they have a husband and they don't have to work and they can just do whatever they want. And I'm like, that's not my case can you guys help me? Mm-hmm. And they offered no support or assistance. And that's when I was like, that's the last straw. Mm. I guess just, I, I want to hear kind of take us up into current of, you know, like what is, obviously you took our school recently and, and I would just love to hear you speak on like where you are in your journey of becoming a midwife and, and kind of just figuring this out and any, yeah, any like words of wisdom to share for, for other women and and just where yeah where you are with all of this now well while I was at the farm I met another midwife that lives in Atlanta and uh Karina and then I met Um Salam which was like the one of the only black midwives that were on the farm with them in the 70s and even today she's you know there sometimes they're both in Atlanta so I connected with them and you know I came here and started to go to births you know with that um home birth midwife you know, however, I started to see some of the the fear, the fear model coming in. And that really made me, really started to rethink how I wanted to practice midwifery. Hmm. So that really changed my trajectory. Like, I'm still trying to figure it out. Like, a part of me wants to, you know, have the CPM status so that I could you know, possibly live in a state where that I can get paid through insurance and serve, you know, people of color and families that might not be able to pay right out of pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, but then the other part of me is like totally radical and just wants to do this work and support women and families in the way they want to birth. Mm-hmm. And a large percentage of that is outside the system. 
Yeah. So right now I'm here. I took the school and I love it all. And my goal is to really, really grow my business here in Atlanta. I really love it here because there's a diversity. There's a large black population. There's so many different colors here. And I see it as an opportunity, you know, with the, all the things that I love to do to really bring this, you know, to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in like primitive skills and nature connection and bringing all those things together to support families in an authentic way is my vision. Yeah. You know, I view life and experiences as, as being blessings and lessons, even the hard shit that I don't want. You know what I mean? So, you know, even with death, what was the blessing? What was the lesson? Everything I look at like that, bad and good. There's some, there's something that wisdom you can gain from that experience to move forward into your life in a better way. So that's what I want to leave everyone with, you know, be intentional, look at what you want to create, how you want your life, are the people and things that are currently in your circle and your cipher in alignment with that. And if it's not, do some shifting. Right. Yeah. Well, this was really lovely to learn more about about your story. And I've so valued the friendship I found in you this year. And yeah, just thank you for your time and, and your willingness to share all your lessons and blessings. Well, thank you for having me on. It was definitely something I've been wanting to just share with the world more. And I look forward to doing it more and maybe inspiring others to live more authentically and birth how they want to live birth. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. Our opening song is by Shia Ray. And now I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back.